on this episode of the London Lyceum. We talk with Dr. Jonathan Watson about the four models of baptism, catechesis, and communion. So we cover all sorts of topics like, what do those terms mean? What What does baptism mean? What does catechesis mean? What does communion mean? What are the various models and how do they relate to each other? Which model deserves greater attention but has had the least popularity? What are the ways that are there for Protestants and Baptists to think more deeply on the topic and so much more? As always, if you have thoughts about the episode or ideas or requests for the show in general, you can just up Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or check us out at our website, thelondonlyceum.com. Now, for the only analytic, Baptist, and confessional podcast on the planet, we think this one's going to get you thinking. Well, I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of The London Lyceum. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your co-host, Brandon Askew. And we are a podcast that is dedicated to serious thinking for a serious church. But when we do that, we don't want to just say, be serious thinkers. We also want to tell you like specifically what that looks like. And so we haven't picked out every virtue that you could pursue, but we picked out a couple that we think are relevant and helpful, at least for our own context and our own audience. And those are cheerful, cheerful confessionalism, charity, curiosity, and critical thinking. And the cheerful confessionalism piece, I realize not everybody is, you know, confessional sort of thinker. We, we think you, you'd benefit from being that way. But when we say cheerful confessionalism, we're almost like, contrasting that with the cranky confessionalism. So we, we're trying to get away from like using it almost as a, as a hammer to beat people with and using it more uh, along the lines of, I don't know, something that can, like a, a balm that can really soothe and help and so, almost like some guardrails that can guide us and lead us to the path so we don't fall off the path and have to go through thorns and thistles. It's a well-worn path that can guide us to the end. So with all that in mind, I'm super excited to introduce introduce you all to Dr. Jonathan Watson. Um, he's got this awesome, uh, relatively new book. It's called In the Name of Our Lord from Lexham Press. I, I love everything that Lexham's doing right now. I mean, from from the, the typesetting that they've got in their books to the designs that they have on the covers. I mean, I th- to the content that they're producing, it's awesome. So check out Lexham Press, number one. Number two, this book, I think a lot of you guys are going to be really interested in it. So I'm super excited to discuss some of the aspects that you've got on here, Dr. Watson. So before we jump in, why don't you just give me a little bit of context? Where are you at now? What are you doing? And then what made you interested in spending years writing this book? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, it's great to be on. And and uh, I'm uh, currently uh, teaching at Charleston Southern University. I'm an associate professor of Christian studies, and I uh, my PhD is in systematic theology with a minor in Reformation studies, which actually was part of the Reformation studies part of it uh, generated some of the the initial uh, interest in in this particular topic. Um, as far as, uh, you know, I'm confessionally Southern Baptist and uh, grew up in the Southern Baptist um, church. And so um, so that that my interest in the topic uh, is 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 kind of interesting in the sense that it it spans all the way back to to my earliest days. I, I, I attended a, a, a Baptist church in which the Lord's Supper was celebrated monthly and so uh, it was a, a meaningful and rich experience for me. When fast forward uh, through to to my days in seminary at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and um, and and my time uh, spent in systematic theology, uh, studying and and thinking about the Lord's Supper and and church discipline, 
um, uh, with Stan Norman uh, was a significant moment and uh, started recognizing the, the location of fellowship in the church around the table. Um, also, during my, my, within the probably first week of moving into seminary, my, uh, my dad told me that he converted to Eastern Orthodoxy. And so all of a sudden, uh, all through my, my MDiv years, I'm, I'm, I'm having a dialogue with him, uh, of course, encountering their unique perspective on the, on the supper, uh, and it, pedo communion views and things like this. Um, when I, when I, uh, when I, when I got into my my Reformation studies uh, with Dr. Jason Lee, um, I started. Uh, we looked deeply at Luther, and I started encountering some interesting bits uh, in his theology. As I, as I it, heard him talk about, you know, if you want to understand how an adult baptism works, look at infant baptism. And I, I started realizing, wow, there's there's some real diversity uh, going on here uh, in some some of these traditions that don't. That aren't really explainable by just simply what what's the you know what's the Lutheran view on this or what's the Reform view on this or or the Baptist view on that, um, and so um, so so theologically there there was just a lot of interest there as well. Uh, pastorally, uh, I can uh, you know over the years I've been in, both encouraged and frustrated as I've watched us uh, sometimes do better or worse. In the churches I've attended, um, at, at celebrating uh, the supper, bringing people in, connecting the ordinances, these kinds of things. So, so these are these are things that I'm uh, I'm interested in in it from a scholastic angle, but but pastorally, I think there's just a lot here as well. well I spent some time looking through uh, your book last night, and, and really did enjoy the way you approached this. I thought this was uh, really interesting. And the, and the subtitle of the book is Four Models of the Relationship Between Baptism, Catechesis. Uh, and communion. So as we oftentimes do um, on this podcast, we start with definitions, and that's kind of how you start uh, in your book, you know, how you're going to use the word baptism, catechesis, and communion. Let's start there. Um, how are you using each one of those three words um, throughout the work? And then after that, um, we'll get into the specific models that you discuss. Sure. And and just to situate, uh, well, I'll, I'll give definitions of those, and I'll try to give a classification for the work. So um, in terms of, uh, of of definition, you know, baptism. Uh, I, I mean, particularly water baptism in the in the name of the Triune God. Um, I'm a confessional Southern Baptist, right? So uh, believers' baptism I, I, is is what I would argue for. But in in this work, I'm actually constructing a, a kind of taxonomy or uh, you know an explanatory framework. That would account for how the Christian tradition has done this. So, um, you know, and I wrote this at a Baptist seminary. It was this is a revision of my dissertation completed at Southwestern Seminary. So um, I had to had to be real clear, careful to clarify what I mean. So so as I work my way through the book and I construct these various models, I'm trying to I use baptism relatively. Uh, to the particular tradition and how they would understand that, even though I I have some differences convictionally about what you know what baptism is biblically speaking. So, um, so but but baptism kind of as a baseline, you know, it's it's immersion in, in water uh, in the triune name, right? Um, uh, catechesis um, is just simply instruction. Uh, we, we encounter the Greek word katecheo in the New Testament with this kind of meaning. Um, the the church across the ages has used it to describe 
instruction of of the faithful, particularly and and most often it's associated with bringing someone to baptism, but it's not limited to the, that. But in connection to baptism, it would be instruction in the fundamentals of the faith. Um, and then communion, I simply means Lord's Supper, Eucharist. Um, it you know it's applied to to the mass because I do engage with Roman Catholic confessional statements across the book. So um, that's all that's all I mean for that. So um, the word model, you didn't ask me to define that, um, but I would say uh, that's an important word that we need to define, and I, I'm using it um, following it, it's. Uh, Avery Dulles, in, in some of his work, Models of Revelation, Models of the Church, he's got a couple of different books. He's a Catholic um, comparative theologian, ecumenical scholar. Um, and so he's he provides this. You can think of a model, something like um, a mannequin, you know, like a tailor is going to, you know, craft clothing, um, you know, and, and to get that clothing, uh, you know, basically in the right shape or form, uh, he uses a mannequin to to do it, but obviously when he sells it, he's going to have to tailor it a bit. And so these models, um, they're not designed to be, you know, explain everything about a particular thinker or tradition. They're designed to try to help us think through the logic of how we're relating baptism, catechesis, and communion. Um, by the way, when I say communion, I also might want to clarify, I use communion as a comparative line. Right. So the question being, uh, at what point does someone enter into the visible fellowship of the church? And so the book's going to kind of work through some of the various options like confirmation or or baptism even or something like this. But it, it became very clear to me that that even on traditions that want to say something like, you know, baptism is the doorway to the church. If you are not willing to bring someone to the communion table Something about their entrance into that visible fellowship is still left undone. And so I, I came to the conclusion, I'm going to use the Lord's Supper of those three elements, baptism, uh, catechesis, and communion. Communion would be the, or first communion, we might say, would be the kind of line by which we measure when is someone part of this visible fellowship. So, um, so I use it that way. Um, in in the study. So what I'm trying to then do is explain through these models or examine the logic of relationship between baptism, catechesis, and communion um, as we think through. And, and, and the reason why I thought this was important and necessary to do was that as I going back to some of my observations in Luther, it's not as simple as as drawing a line as I had for a long time as a Baptist. Going well, you have adult baptism and you have infant baptism, and this is you know this is how one or the other works. Um, Luther's trying; he was very very careful to say, look, don't get confused when you see an adult baptism. Um, you know, baptism works like it does for an infant when when we apply it to an adult. And so it's the Word of God, you know, connected to the water of the sign. And in that experience, someone hears the Word in an existential way and can respond to it. And so in some ways, Luther is making baptism the first and, and, and most important catechetical lesson that brings someone into the church. So you've got to hear that Word before you can respond to it. So baptism is cast by for Luther as this, like, very objective sign given to you by God to which you respond. And so 
uh, on the other side of this, I was I was equ- I was equally intrigued when I bumped into a, a Catholic scholar named Aidan Cavanaugh. Uh, he's a liturgical scholar. Uh, wrote a lot about uh, Second Vatican uh, and 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 some of the reform documents that came out of that and. And he wants to say the exact opposite to Luther. He wants to say, look, when you see an infant baptism, because he's a big fan of, of, the, of the extended catechumenate and, and some of the things that lead someone into the, the Catholic Church, you know, through an extended period of training and then follow, you know, concluded with confirmation. He says, look, when you see an infant baptism, don't get confused. You're seeing, you know, kind of a microcosm of, of the fuller thing, right? So it's like it's a piano reduction of the symphony of Christianity. Christian initiation. So he wants to say, when you see an infant baptism, don't think, inf- you know, think adult baptism. Um, so, so you have these competing viewpoints uh, as they describe either adult baptism or infant baptism. I was like, you can't, you can't, you just can't simply uh, describe this in any of the. I hadn't seen any work that that tried to to account for the litur- what we might call liturgical logic and the way that these things are getting connected. Um, as a Baptist, uh, it, it, in my experience was we tended to look at these issues in isolation. Like, so I want to talk about baptism. Well, which is right, believer's baptism or infant baptism? Or on the Lord's Supper, you know, uh, pre- the presence of Christ. And we have you know, these four view, views books out everywhere to talk about how how these things are worked out. But we don't think about initiation and and all in in as a complex of things that go together like like I've tried to do in the in the book. So so those are some of the things going on there. I may have over answered your question, but No, no, that that's good. That's very helpful. I I thought maybe it would be good before we got into the four models themselves. You you actually have two different categories that I think it would be important to uh, to discuss. So two of the models are independent models and two are interdependent. And then you also have a an objective and subjective um, spectrum, which I think you kind of just touched on. But maybe let's lay that groundwork before we get into each one of the four models themselves. That's, that's great. Um, and yeah, so I do lay all of this out. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've joked a bit, you know, uh, I may have uh, unwittingly become a dispensationalist because uh, you can't, you know, I've got so, I've got some charts in the book, right? So, um, but there is a chart at the back of the book it tries to lay out some of these, just kind of to sh- show some of the logic that I'm laying, I'm, I'm working through there. Um, so, yeah, so if you think about, as I said before, the finish line for, for if we want to say it this way, for bringing someone into the visible fellowship is the Lord's Supper. Um, it's, it's, it's the only repeating sign of initiation, right? So it's a sign that it's, con- that of continuation in the church as we might think of baptism as a sign of initiation. Um, the, those, those, uh, the models, uh, will all take their names from the relationship or orientation, uh, between, um, Either catechesis or baptism. Uh, but it, sorry, that may not be the best way of, of phrasing that. But um, either uh, the model is going to to uh, place either baptism or catechesis in an independent relationship. It's an independent means. So, in other words, baptism alone brings you into the fellowship, or catechesis alone brings you into the the visible fellowship at the table. So, for example, um, baptism alone, bringing one into the visible fellowship of the church, that 
Eastern Orthodox Pado Communion. Uh, by the way, there are uh, Reformed and even some Lutheran advocates of Pado Communion. Um, on this view, you know, you've got a baptism given, and then uh, it's you know one is immediately welcomed to the table apart from any instruction. Right, an infant can't can't be instructed or confess or articulate the the Christian faith. So so they're brought to the table apart from catechesis. Now, it doesn't mean they don't care about catechesis. They're not going to do it later. But they're already showing uh, a, a sign of fellowship. And there's no other sign to give them uh, to, to really demonstrate their fellowship and participation in this community. At the other end of the spectrum, the other independent model would be the catechesis model. Um, and, and, and so someone here might be like John Bunyan, uh, is a good example of this, right? Who, who, uh, you know, he, he has, uh, he has, you know, some value for baptism, um, but, but it's not the, the sign of water baptism that one is looking for when you welcome them into the church or the way that I, this is readily illustrated if your uh, listeners are, are familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, right? Uh, Christian, uh, he, he you know, enters in through the—he leaves the city of destruction and, and makes his way through the narrow gate and past the interpreter's house, the way of the cross. Eventually, he arrives at the Palace Beautiful. And when he gets there, uh, the porter is there and, and, and questions uh, Christian about, you know, how how'd you come in the way? And, you know, did you did you did you pass by the interpreter's house? Did you lose your, you know, how did you lose your burden? These kinds of questions. Um, and then and then before he lets him into the this is all of the gate. And before he lets him in, you know, he calls the sisters of the house forward and 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 they they question him. And so but no, at no point along the way. Did, did Christian do anything that resembles water baptism, right? If, if you rehearse all of those moments, the only thing he does passing through the waters is at the end of his journey before he, when he crosses over to the celestial city. Um, so, and you're listening, you know, for, 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 for Bunyan, you're listening for, for what baptism means. You're listening for a theology of baptism, not looking for the sign itself. Um, so eventually in the story, they, they welcome him in, uh, have supper with him, but not before all this conversations happen and, and certainly with no baptism in, in the middle. So, um, so you either independently, it's either going to be baptism that welcomes you in or it's catechesis that welcomes you in. Then you have these two inter, interdependent models where, um, and I named these based on how catechesis is oriented to baptism. Okay, so catechesis is either looking back to baptism, hence the retrospective model, or catechesis is looking toward baptism, hence the prospective model. So um, examples uh, of, of the retrospective model, uh, I think Luther may provide us one of the most robust pictures, right, because of the way he he cast adult baptism, right, as 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 a, as the you know kind of you know it's the faith that follows baptism as as Oscar Coleman would later go on to kind of I think uh, articulate Luther's view or at least express a very similar view. So uh, you know it, it's it's you're know, you're given the sign of baptism and then catechesis is always going back and unpacking what was going on there. Remember Luther uh, was uh, debating on how many sacraments there were. Uh, it was was you know and it kind of narrows it down to three. If you read through uh, the Babylonian captivity of the church, uh, you know it's it's either ba- it's it's baptism and Lord's Supper. He's pretty settled on those. The third one that he couldn't 
you know, for a while, even inside that work, it's, is it is it penance or is penance not? And he lands on the view that penance is nothing but a way and return to baptism. And um, and so so uh, you know, for for Luther, you're always going back to baptism. You're always going back there to learn. And so uh, you know, Thomas Oden's statement that um, that all of Christian theology is is could be described as as an extended commentary on one's baptism or on the baptismal confession or something like this. Um, is a good you know that that summarizes the idea here that baptism kind of contains the Christian faith. Summarize you know summarize it, and some would want to say a lot more. <laughs> That's where you're saved, right? Um, but catechesis is always going back to to that, unpacking it in a way that then is confirmed later, and specifically at at the Lord's Supper. Um, prospective model. Uh, is uh, is also interdependent, but here catechesis is looking toward baptism, preparing one to confess the faith once for all delivered to the saints at baptism. Which, which you know, whether there's a an external confirmation ride or something that's paired with it, it's all going to be together, and then you're going to be led straight into uh, the table fellowship of, of the Lord's Supper. And so that's going to be a believer's baptism, most Southern Baptists. That's the perspective model, correct? Yes, yes. So uh, now I would, um, so so again, I'm trying to pr- provide an explanatory uh, framework that would allow, that would explain the logic of of all these different approaches across tradition. So some of these important questions like what's actually happening in baptism, what's the nature of that kind of thing, they get a little bit relativized in the in the project not because i don't care about them but because it would have been extraneous to to the what i was trying to do um so so i'll just go back to aiden cavanaugh i'm not going to agree with the catholic church about the nature of the sacraments and so forth but what he's trying to say about the logic of infant baptism you know when you see an infant baptism don't think infant baptism think adult baptism right so I think even a Roman Catholic Church approach for an adult baptism, and Aidan Kavanaugh is going to want to argue for an infant baptism, uh, kind of. Although I don't think it works, uh, you know. And and that brings up the other question that you asked me is about. Uh, I create a kind of a or label underneath the diagram. If anyone's looking at it, uh, this objective to subjective line across all of these models, and I see basically. Uh, the and some have not liked this, uh, you know, when I've engaged on it, which you know it's not perfect. But in my own understanding, I was trying to to just help us understand that that the model can accommodate uh, that kind of diversity that I I just described, right? So a Southern Baptist, you know, like myself, uh, not going to be a, a you know going to go for some ex operato understanding of the sacraments like a Catholic would. So uh, I think the Catholic is explaining uh, the sacraments of initiation in a way that's far more objective uh, than I am. Um, and so uh, you, I think you can see the models themselves doing this, right? So I place the baptism model all the way to the left. It's the most objective because you, you're given this sign, and that's all that, that bring, you need to bring you in. Um, it gets more subjective as you move to the next model, the prospective, because even, you know, uh, for someone uh, like Luther, he, he's not going to want to commune, uh, give the give communion to an infant, right? What does he want to happen before? Well, he wants them to confess before. So confirmation is being placed at the end of this season of catechesis, 
that intervenes from baptism till first communion. So that's more subjective in my mind. Um, even though I'd say you know Luther has pretty much the most objective view of, of baptism, maybe of anybody. But um, and then you you know uh, and so on and so forth. So um, it gets more and more perspective model. You know it's it's catechesis first before baptism. We're, you're confessing something. We're going to interrogate you. You know think of the creeds, the in, in, interrogation uh, forms, interrogatory forms of the of the creeds in the early church, things like this. Um, and then all the way to Bunyan, who says, look, I don't need the water sign. Uh, I, I just need to hear uh, that confession. Right. So to me, I see I, that that was some of the insight of the framework is like, wow, if you lay them out this way, you can see a progression and a dynamic that um, that that moves across all of this. Yeah, that makes sense. So as I think about these, the models that you've got here. Um, you know, you at the beginning you were talking about sort of the pastoral import on this. I'm curious in your own experience, how has this framework been beneficial to your work in the local church or with other other pastors that have been reading this? Like, what's the payoff that's really been benefiting? Um, well, so for example, I, I was part of a church that um, that actually, you know, was was doing something. It was it was a Baptist church. It was doing something kind of odd. Um, they would, uh, someone would come and say they want to be baptized. They would, they'd be, you know, the elders would, would, uh, talk this through with them. They would give a, uh, you know, read a a testimony in the baptistry, right. And be, be baptized, um, in front of the congregation. But at the next members meeting, um, they'd be asked to do the same thing. Um, they'd be asked to come and read their testament and then be voted on, right? Uh, and, and as a member of the church, and so it was interesting because as we as we dialogued about some of these things, um, they started recognizing that that their practice function was was functionally at odds with their confession. Um, that they they were not manifesting uh, and showcasing that baptism entered into the tr- the fellowship of the church. Um, they were also not uh, seeing it as as uh, a confirmation of the church's um, hearing the gospel from this person, right, and 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 and, and authenticating it. And so they weren't thinking carefully at the time. They weren't carefully thinking about what their administration of baptism was saying. And I think that's probably one of the most important things to recognize is that the patterns by which we initiate people into the church are saying something. And what is that something they're saying? They're preaching something. And um, you know, if we have if if we if if we buy into the idea that the way uh, that we Prosper of Aquitaine said, you know, lex orandi, lex credendi, the the law or rule of prayer is the law or rule of belief. And so the way that you worship shapes the way you believe. And if you consistently put on display the, the sign uh, of, of, the, of baptism and Lord's Supper, initiating people in, in a particular way, it's going to create grooves in the way that you think. It's going to create grooves in the way, not just think generically, but think about yourself and think about the church um, and what it is. These, all of these models project certain views of the church. 
Um, and this is not, you know, if you're, you have a largely Baptist audience, it's not something lost on, on, I'm sure many of your readers, right? We, we, we see, we strive for a regenerate church. Um, we think the church is comprised of believers. So, um, but, but is our baptism, what is our baptismal practice, uh, and, and, and the administration of supper saying about these things? So if we cut baptism out as a prerequisite for the table, um, it's saying something, right? It's saying something about the necessity of baptism, the importance of baptism, um, uh, uh, the the role that baptism plays in displaying faith um, and making faith intelligible um, to those uh, who are, uh, you know, to to whom you're seeking to join in covenant. So, uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of practical, you know, value, and you know, I've said a lot of things here about Baptists, but I think anyone, uh, any tradition looking this would be able to start asking questions about uh, the con- at least the internal consistency of what they're saying baptism and the Lord's Supper is. Um, I would say also too, um, so it, it, you know, I mentioned before we tend to atomize these things; we look at them in isolation. Um, so I think it, it forces you to start thinking about these things and how they all relate to one another. Um, you know, uh, and, and, and you, I think the work will help, you know, some of the things that have become obvious to me and I think have a lot of pastoral importance have come from some other models that I don't, you know, I wouldn't agree with some of the moves they're making elsewhere. But for example, Luther's point that, that baptism, uh, is, is a, um, or that repentance is a way in return to baptism. Now he's saying that because for him, that's where your sins were drowned, right? Like that's where you were regenerated. Um, I don't think that's the case. Um, so, uh, but I can get on board with this idea that, that, that I need to be going back and thinking about and recalling my baptism. Um, this, there's a strand of this going on in, in the Westminster confession as well. It talks about improving your baptism. It's not the confession, it's the larger catechism. Uh, but it talks a lot about improving one's baptism. Um, the idea there is living out more and more what was signed to you in baptism. And so, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's some pastoral importance there as we start to recognize there's a lot going on in baptism that's being summarized here that needs to be unpacked. Um, in fact, uh, Paul, when he says this in, in uh, Romans 6, you know, he, he's, he's laid out justification by faith alone really clearly, chapters 1 through 5, and then he says, now I know what you're thinking, guys, you know, um, should we sin that grace may abound? And by no means, and then he can go anywhere he wants to go to to kind of make this point, but he goes to baptism, and he says, don't you know, you you were buried with Christ uh, in, in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life, and then by, the, by verse 11 says, so consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So baptism has this ongoing teaching role, but... That's something I didn't perceive as clearly until I really kind of thought through what was going on in in another model, um, uh, and and so so pastorally uh, I, I see those and um, maybe one other thing if 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 we have time I'll just say that there's uh, some of these other models that you can think of it like this like each of these models has uh, well all of these models have have three mics okay. Um, and, and, but they all turn the volume levels up on the mics a little bit differently. In other words, there's three voices 
going on in in baptism uh, that 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 we need. To, I think we need to listen to all of them. Need to be heard. Um, and so, uh, you know, so someone like uh, Luther uh, is going to have, you know, so so the three voices are God's voice, uh, the participants' voice, right? Whoever's being baptized, and 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 the congregation's voice. Uh, and so Luther's going to have the the mic on on God. Uh, God's mic turn up pretty high, uh, and and the others are are turned down. Uh, we're listening to God here. We're not uh, saying anything. Um, or at least that we're not saying the most important thing um, for for me and my Baptist backgrounds. Yeah, I would have you know I think the churches that that I was a part of would have cast baptism as having one mic right uh, as uh, the mic of the participant who's there uh, proclaiming uh, his or her faith. Um, and and you know who are we to withhold baptism from someone? Uh, you know, someone might say, you know, um, or, or later at the Lord's Supper, this is a personal kind of individual kind of thing, but the congregation has a, an important role here to, to play as well and has a voice because we don't baptize ourselves. Um, and so, uh, we, we receive baptism. The church, when it gives baptism is saying something. And so, um, we need to be paying attention uh, to what we're saying. Um, so, um, anyway, those are, those are some of the things. Um, so part of what this work does is it kind of draws out the, the internal consistency of each one of these traditions and their approach to these three things. Um, I'm curious as you were like really in the deep work of your research, was there one, uh, view that you ran across that you just felt like was a total head scratcher. Like, I don't know how you, how did you get there? Um, and then maybe the second question is there, was there one view that you were least familiar with that you found really, really intriguing, even though, you know, you didn't change your mind, you still, you know, are convinced of what you're convinced of, but you thought, wow, that is an intriguing position. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, this may be a, a redundant answer. Um, the one that shocked me, I mean, it's the one that got me started on the whole project to begin with. And I've already kind of alluded to is like, it was, it was Luther's view of adult baptism working like infant baptism. That was the one where I was just like, what? And I, and I bumped into it uh, again in Oscar Coleman's work when he starts talking about the faith that matters in baptism is the faith that follows baptism. I was like, what are y'all talking about? I mean, cause here, you know, they're basic, you know, Coleman's saying it a little bit more explicitly. Uh, it's implicit in, in Luther. Luther's, attack, you know, he's going off, um, you know, on on some of the credo-baptist views of his day and, and wanting to say, look, you know, in kind of Luther's, you know, quintessential bombastic style, you know, like, um, yeah, you, you guys think your faith matters. It's not, it's not, it's not your faith that matters. It's baptism. And so the infant doesn't bring anything with them, you know, and that, that's, that's what an adult does. You know, they, they, no one brings anything to God as though God, owed, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I think I'm being fair, uh, to Luther, uh, certainly not dismissive that, I mean, this is why Luther would hold on to infant, uh, an infant faith view, right? Is that the infant can hear God's word there just like the adult. And, and it just, you know, the, the faith in, in, in other words, what he's saying is the faith that matters is the faith that follows that word given to you in baptism, right? That, that baptism is, is, is in God's word there is generating faith in us. So Coleman's going to say it just that way, you know, kind of 
towards adults. And so I'm going, what's, you know, it really just made me scratch my head and try to think through, well, how are they working out the, the role of catechesis even for adults? And so I kind of, I get into some of that in the book. Um, but yeah, that was the head scratcher. And, and yet at the same time, it was, it was also the one that I kind of kept coming back to and going, you know, I can't get on board with Luther on a lot of the stuff, but man, I, I can't also, you know, as a Baptist, I, I actually, I actually think he's helping me be a better Baptist here because he's helping me see that, that the whole Christian faith is summarized right here, right? Baptism isn't just something that, that I did a long time ago and don't ever think about again. Right. Let's move on to something else. Um, I mean, Paul in in Colossians is using baptismal imagery to to make all of his ethical applications, uh, just as he does in Romans six. Right. So the yeah, it's just that that one thought um, has been incredibly enriching for me, um, even though I can't get I can't get on board. Uh, with 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 the kind of the 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 strong um, view that Luther takes about it, and certainly not his infant view, um, but but yeah, I, I yeah. think that would be my answer. Um, certainly intrigued by the others as well, and and I've learned some interesting things from them as well. So, so you mentioned at the beginning how your dad converted to Eastern Orthodoxy. I'm curious how has this framework assisted in your conversations with him because. For like me, my brother, he probably converted to Eastern Orthodoxy a year ago. So I'm just super interested. <laughs> yeah, well, I wish I wish I could say that it, it has. Um, unfortunately, my dad uh, has has a uh, kind of a slow moving dementia, um, and about the uh, by the time I had really started delving into some of these matters, um, you know, he he wasn't really uh, at the place. Um, he wasn't really at the place to to have a lot of those kind of conversations. So, yeah. um, but I will say that the the conversations with him uh, over the years certainly uh, you know helped me be more familiar with some of these things and 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 you know helped me think. Hopefully, I, I would try to be really careful to whenever I characterize or dealt with some some aspect of another tradition like Eastern yeah. Orthodoxy uh, to to be as accurate as I could be. Yeah. So then I guess for those. Let's say, I mean, I don't know. Do you have friends who are Roman Catholics, or you've mentioned Luther quite a bit? Has this framework helped in those conversations to where you can find the meeting ground where you say, "Now we have better clarity on our agreements, and we have better clarity on our disagreements." I, you know, I can't say that I've I've really engaged a lot of Roman Catholics on this. Um, so uh, no, I'm 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 interested in in having some of those conversations, but I haven't uh, to this point. Um, yeah. Now, remind me, so you're at Charleston Southern. Um, what sort of programs do you have there? So if, if people are interested in either A, they've got kids who are thinking about college, or if they're somebody's thinking about a master's degree or something, do you, what sort of programs do you have available? Yeah, very good. Um, we have uh, we we are a primarily undergraduate uh, school. Uh, this School of Christian Studies uh, is, is a focused in undergraduate work. Um, we have uh, we have partnerships with all six Southern Baptist seminaries, so students that come here and get a degree, let's say in Christian studies, are going to have a uh, you know about thirty hours uh, of of credit going into an MDiv degree. Um, but we're little liberal arts, and so we have programs uh, that range across the humanities, 
and and into this into the STEM uh, kinds of things. Uh, a, a good business school, a, a good uh, music education school. Um, just started a new aeronautics program. I think we have the. Uh, if not the top ranked, you know, one of the top ranked nursing programs in the state of South Carolina. Um, so uh, we we do have um, do have some doctoral degrees, masters and doctoral degrees that are being offered here, just not in Christian studies. So um, they, they have uh, you know master's degrees in anything from psychology to um, uh, to business to to education and I think doctoral degrees that we only have one so far of EDD degree but those are some things that we're we're doing I would I would also say that I'm I'm really encouraged um, our our president Dr. Uh, Donnie Costin um, was a former uh, general in the Pentagon over all the chaplains uh, in the U.S. military he's now our president he's really done a good job of situating our Christian identity in the in the in the center of who we are. Um, and to that point, and coming back to Christian studies, we have a, a, a what's called the Dewey Center for um, Chaplaincy. Um, Dr. Ron Harvell, uh, also a, a general from the Air Force, is heading that up, a uh, retired general, uh, and he is uh, you know getting getting that work going. So we have, have a number of chaplaincy majors, um, and uh, he's doing some good work there too. So some good things happening here at Charleston Southern. Awesome. And you also have the benefit of being in Charleston, South Carolina, which, you know, of, of places that you can live or be, that's probably at the top. <laughs> it is amazing. We love we love living here. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Jonathan, for taking the time to talk with us again. I will link to his book in the show notes so you can just click the link and get a copy of it. It's with Lexum, so it's affordable. You can uh, not sell your leg to, to buy it. You can actually eat the next day. And you still get to read the book. So I definitely recommend checking it out. I think you'll benefit from it. It'll help you and it'll help provide sort of a taxonomy when you think about these things, which I think is super helpful. So thanks, Jonathan. This has been awesome. And for everybody who's been listening, this is the only analytic Baptist and confessional podcast on the planet. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.